Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Observer's Notebook podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Episode 89. This podcast has been going on now for three years. We started in 2017 in February. So, hey, thanks a lot to everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also affectionately known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, we we receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook, which is the handbook of the ALPO training program. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and one year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us. We'd really like that. And you'll never miss another episode of the podcast. And now, the Messier Marathon with Don Mackholtz. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. And we have a very special return guest, Don Machholz. Welcome back, Don. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, you're a multi-comet discoverer, and you're also now a podcaster. Welcome to the group. (laughs) Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you. I, I do a podcast, a weekly podcast called Looking Up with Don. And it's a astronomy-based podcast uh, based upon what's visible over the next week and how to see some things in the sky. And then I also will touch upon things such as the Messe Marathon or my visual comet hunting and comet discoveries. Yeah, it's really good. I suggest all of our listeners to to go find it. It's available everywhere, uh, iTunes, everywhere, right? Right, right. And uh, it's released on uh, Tuesday night, and it becomes effective every Wednesday from Wednesday through the next Tuesday morning. So I cover everything that's going to be visible during the weekend. If people can just get out on the weekends and look at the sky, we we discuss it uh, on that podcast. Are you enjoying doing a podcast? Yeah, I love it. 
It takes, it takes quite a bit of, of time to put together because I actually write the script. Mm -hmm. That takes about 10 hours of research and, and what is it that people might want to see this week. Great, great. Now, you also recently moved out of California, right? Yes, moved from Northern California to more or less Northern Arizona. How's and that going for you? Going pretty good. Uh, I, I retired a year ago and uh, we now live off the grid, out in the middle of nowhere with dark skies. Oh, fantastic. Every astronomer's dream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Now, today we're here to talk about not comets, not really the podcast, but we're going to talk about Messier marathons. And you have a very important tie to the beginning of that. Why don't you talk, about, talk to us about that? Well, I was one of those. There were several independent uh, inventors of the Messier marathon. I was one of those. Uh, Tom Ryland and Tom Hofeter back east were also involved in that, and Ed Flynn. Uh, but back in the 1970s, when I began comet hunting, I noticed uh, positions of the Messier objects. And when you comet hunt, you, you're looking down near the horizon. So you, you pick things up as they rise or prior to them setting. And I began to realize by mid-1978 that you could see most all of the objects in one night in late March. And I wrote an article about that to the San Jose Astronomical Association uh, newsletter in August of 1978, which was a month before my first comet discovery. And also that same uh, month, I wrote my first comet comets article, which uh, mm -hmm. was a series that went on every month for the next 20 years. Wow. But in the Messier Marathon article, I says, hey, let's all get together next March and go out and do the marathon up at Loma Prieta in the Santa Cruz Mountains, where I did my comet hunting. And, uh, and in fact, we did. But come, come March of 1979, Sky and Telescope magazine comes out, and Walter Scott Houston has written an article about the Messier Marathon talking about some of these other guys who have done it, and now we're doing it. And um, I was one of the first persons to publish an observing order for the Messe Marathon. Wrote a few articles for mm -hmm. Strong Magazine and a few of the other magazines about the Messe Marathon, encouraging people to do it. Great. So, uh, that's kind of how we got started. And okay, let's take, let's take a step back, though. Um, yeah. You're using the word Messe. Now, some of our listeners might not know who Charles Messier is. So can you guys just give us a little bit of background about who Charles Messier is and why we have these objects? Yes, we can celebrate his birthday uh, in, in June of this year, uh, 290 years since he was born. But he was an astronomer in France. He worked out of the Paris Observatory in France, and he uh, cataloged uh, a lot of galaxies and clusters and nebula that he saw in the sky. And he was cataloging them because he was a comet hunter. And uh, as a visual comet hunter, and we still do this today, we're looking for fuzzy objects. And he was noticing a lot of fuzzy objects up there in his three-inch telescope or his seven-inch telescope. And instead of uh, suspecting each one was a comet and waiting for it to move, uh, he decided to begin plotting where they were and making a catalog of these objects. And in time, the catalog is now recognized as being 110 galaxies, 
clusters, and nebula throughout the sky, all visible from the northern hemisphere. The one that's further south is about a minus 30 degrees declination. And these are generally the brightest and most popular of these objects in the nighttime sky. Yeah, and if you're ever around astronomers in the night and they're talking about objects they're looking at, you'll hear them say, oh, this is M31 or M42, and that M does stand for Messier, so that's, that's where that comes from. Yes, yes, and, and that's how we refer to them, M85, M, M1, M13. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, those, that's, the, that's the jargon of amateur astronomy. Now, you mentioned that late March is the best time to where you can see all the objects in one night? Yes, if you're at uh, certain latitudes, and that does matter. When I began this, I was in this central California, 39, uh, 37 degrees latitude. And from there, I was never able to see all 110 in one night. But you move a few degrees south to 34 degrees latitude, it becomes more possible to do that. And so I have been able to see 110 in one night, as have many others from these lower latitudes. Okay. So what type of equipment is required to participate in a Messier marathon? Well, if if you want to see the maximum amount, a good good telescope will work. I usually use a six-inch reflector. We have people using two- and three-inch telescopes up to 18-inch telescopes. I usually recommend you just use what you have, what you're used to, because uh, part of the challenge is is finding them. Uh, Now, some people use go-to instruments in which you just enter the object into your computer and it will find it for you. That's okay, too. That's That's not not cheating? Well, (laughs) we we discussed this early on in the Messe Marathon. One of the founders called me and we discussed this because back in the 80s, uh, in 90s, uh, amateurs were beginning to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question was, should we allow this to happen on the Messe Marathon? And we decided, uh, yes, uh, if you have a go-to instrument and that's what you use, go ahead and do that. However, um, there's at least one astronomy club in Southern California which has a different set of awards for those who use electronic setting circles and the go-to telescopes versus those who just visually star hop to, to the objects. Yeah, because the star hopping is what I, you and I have been observing a long time and way before go-to telescopes, and star hopping is how we learn the sky. That's right, but uh, 20 or 30 years from now, almost nobody will be star hopping anywhere and um, and we have to be prepared that, that, that that's the way things are going. Uh, and, and so we don't want to say to half the astronomers out there, <laughs> you can't do the Messe Marathon unless you star hop. I mean, there it's supposed go. to be a fun event for everybody, no matter how you find them. The key, though, is to actually see the object. You can't just find the object. You have to see it. And I've had a few times where I had M74 in my telescope, and I can't see it. I know it's there, but it's you know, I'm fighting twilight and low altitude. Yeah. If you if you don't see it, it doesn't count. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, a Southern California club that that has separate rules. So are there are organized Messier marathon events throughout the country? 
Yes, yes, there is. And one of the most popular is the All Arizona Messe Marathon to be held March 28th of this year. And they've been holding it for 20 or 30 years every year out in the desert. It's well organized, but there's many other clubs who hold, hold the Messe Marathon. And some of them are doing it on March 21st of this year. And you, you, you try to do it when the moon's not in the sky. And right. That varies each year. This year, new moon is March 24th. So the and then the astronomy clubs always pick Saturday nights. So mm-hmm. you find a Saturday night on either side of, of the new moon, and that's when you, you do it. Now you can do the Messe Marathon other times of the year, but you won't be able to see 110 objects, but you'll be able to see at least 90. And I've done it in October, late right. October, you can see 106 in one night. Wow. So um it's something you can actually go out and do every month if you want. That's true. That's true. Yeah. How many have you done? 50. I've done oh, 52 wow. Messe marathons. Wow. And uh, on 40, 45 or so, uh, or 40 of them, I've done more than 100 objects. Sometimes you go out there and you do your evening objects, and uh, I usually get the first 65 objects done in a couple hours. I'll usually go to bed for a few hours. <laughs> You get up and it's cloudy. And oh, uh, no. <laughs> that's the end of that, you know. Oh, that's uh, funny. So <laughs> what is the process for doing a Messier Marathon? I mean, you mentioned you can take a break in the middle, but, you know, is there a catalog of, of objects of when you can see them? Yes, and, and it, uh, it does vary slightly upon your latitude and upon exactly what uh, day of the year you go out. But generally speaking, in late March, uh, we begin with uh, the galaxies in the western sky. You always have to begin picking up those objects in the western sky because mm-hmm. they are going to be setting first. And if you go out the next night, they'll be setting about four minutes earlier and the next night four minutes earlier. And you go, <laughs> you put it out enough nights and eventually they're setting in, in strong twilight so you won't be able to see them. Likewise, in the morning sky, the most difficult object is a a globular cluster known as M30. And from these latitudes, it's not easily visible before March 26. Uh, You can see it on on March 30th, you can see it. Uh, March 29th, it's a little more difficult. March 28th, it's even more difficult. So it's just a matter of, of timing. Uh, the best time is probably around March 20, 25th through about the 28th. Uh, during those days, you can still pick up those faint galaxies in the evening sky before you lose them in twilight. And, and then in the morning sky, pick up M30 in the morning. Great. Yeah. So it, And you also, do you publish a list? I believe you said you publish a yeah. list of what yeah, so I, yeah. you can usually find them somewhere on the website. A lot of, uh, clubs do publish the Messe Marathon search sequence, and usually it's based upon the one that I have written. Okay. Yeah, I'll find that, and I'll add it in the show notes, too, as a link. Okay. Great. Okay. You have anything else you'd like to add about the Messe Marathon? Oh, the search sequence is also on my podcast site, podcast number five. I have the whole complete list. Okay. Also on my podcast, I'm doing a series on the Messe Marathon, uh, podcast five through 11 will be on the Messe Marathon in which we go through each of the objects. Oh, fantastic. We'll definitely tune into that. All right. <laughs> uh, anything else you'd like to add? Well, uh, 
I've written a couple books on the Messe Marathon. I, I really wasn't planning to, but uh, I went to uh, Riverside Telescope Makers in 19, uh, conference in 1987, and I met a guy named Harvey Pennington. And uh, he approached me and he says, hey, he was very excited about the Messe Marathon. And, and here I thought people had kind of forgotten about it. And he said, you going to write a book on this? I said, well, I don't really have any plans to right now. And he says, well, I, I, I will then. And he says, this is a great thing, the Messe Marathon. People need to know about this. Wow. And by 1987, we'd been doing it for about 10 years. And it had been in some magazines and some clubs were holding them. And he says, you know, this, this can be a really big thing. And I, I thought, okay, well, uh, I eventually gave him a lot of my notes on my original studies on the Messe Marathon. And he did end up writing a book, but he passed away just before it was published. Oh, no. Harvey Pennington has a, a good book on the Messe Marathon. And uh, years go by, a few years go by, and I thought, well, you know, uh, people are still doing the Messe Marathon. What's yes, going yeah. on here? Maybe I'll write a book because I, I didn't hear much from Harvey after I gave him my notes. And it did take him a few years to, to work on his book. So meanwhile, I, I self-published a book. Um, entitled The Messe Marathon Observer's Guide. It's a handbook and an atlas. The atlas takes you through the Messe objects one by one. And uh, then later Cambridge approached me and said, we'd like for you to write for, for us. So I wrote uh, a similar book, but with uh, more maps and stuff for Cambridge University Press. So both of those books are, are out there. And I think we can probably improve upon that. And I, I may be working on something here in the next few months to um, give us even better star maps as an observing atlas for the Messe Marathon to better help beginners work through the objects. Yeah, because it's a, it's a really good exercise for beginners. It I is. Mean, they get to know their telescope, they get to know the sky, and they see some very interesting objects that are not that difficult to resolve. That's right, but a lot of them have that fear of going into the Virgo group, which has all the galaxies. <laughs> There's about 13 galaxies there, yeah. one kind of next to the other, and um, I usually get through it in about 10 minutes because I go from object to object. And um, But I've heard of uh, some observers taking an hour or two going through that area. There's a lot of other galaxies there, but you go for mainly just the brighter ones, and those mm -hmm. are the SCA ones. Also, about 20 years ago, I began doing it from memory. Uh, really? Prior, yeah. Prior to that, I was using uh, star charts. One year early on, I tape recorded on cassette tapes directions on how to go to each object. So I think around 1981, I went out one night, and I played back the tapes. So I could just listen. I didn't have to use a flashlight. I, mean, I just listened to myself tell myself, move your telescope to this star and go this way and this way and this way. And that's one way of doing it. But the other way is uh, you memorize where everything is, and then you can also go through it much more quickly. Well, you have quite a few more hours at the eyepiece than the average astronomer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 8,500 hours now of visual comet hunting since 1975. 8,500? 8,500 hours. Yeah. How many do you have this year? This year, I had a good January of uh, 22 hours, I believe, and, and in February, we're three weeks into February, and I have um, probably about 10 hours so far in February. Good. Wow. Good weather in Arizona this year, and uh, 
in in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, the, your skies are still pretty nice. You do have dust storms, though, right? Not yet. Not yet. No. Okay. Not, not up where we're, we're at forty six hundred feet. Oh. And, uh, three hours north of Phoenix and about two hours southwest of Flagstaff. Okay. Now, are you doing the Arizona Messier Marathon that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, we hope to get there this year. It's a few hours away from where we live, but yeah, that would be good. I, I plan to be there, yes. Okay, I'll put a link for that as well in the show notes so people can find it. And I'm releasing this, uh, I think, March 1st, so oh. people have plenty of time to plan and get out there. Yeah, yeah. Great. It's a, it's a great thing. Yeah, now, Don, why don't you let everybody know how they can get a hold of you? Um, best way is uh, through my website. is donmachholz.com, D-O-N. M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z, two H's, dot com. That's my website. And there's links to me there from, from there. Great. Great. Well, I, again, want to thank you for coming on the podcast and wish you a lot of luck with looking up with Don. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tim. Same to you on, on, on continued success. You do a great podcast, and I really enjoy listening to yours. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Again, I want to thank Don Mackholtz for coming on and talking about the Messier Marathon and his new podcast, Looking Up with Don. I really hope all of you get out there and subscribe. There's plenty of bandwidth for a lot of astronomy podcasts. He's very good. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can now listen on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits of the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, for his generous support of The Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, Steve. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you have a uh, podcast suggestion or you want to come on the podcast and talk about your astronomy work or anything like that, or comment on the podcast, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net, or you can get a hold of me on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, I hope that so you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. And I did. Yes, you did. We'll talk about that, too. You make it, uh, you do great podcast. I like the way you do it. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, I can't imagine doing a weekly one. I give you big kudos for that, I tell you. <laughs> well, it takes 10 hours of work or so prior to each one because I write about an eight or nine page script prior. Right. To, I've got to do the research and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's tough. Yeah. I, I was doing a Star Trek podcast with my son and, yeah. uh,
and it was called Generations, and I was interviewing like fathers and sons and aunts and uncles and stuff, the people that got each other into Star Trek, and just the coordination for that got to be ridiculous. It's just like, because you know, now I'm not only working about my schedule, but my son's schedule, who just had a his third child and uh-huh. is a full-time teacher up in Oregon, and then trying to coordinate people, you know, to, to come on the podcast and talk, it just got to be way too much for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, doing it yourself though. I mean, that's a, you don't have to worry about anybody else's schedule, but your own. No, I go in the closet. We have a <laughs> big closet with a lot of clothes in, so you don't get in any echoes. And I sit in the closet and record. And for a thirty-minute podcast, I stop and start quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and go back and uh, edit uh, on, on the fly. And and oh, I, I didn't pronounce that word wrong. We'll go back. We'll ah. cut. And we'll continue at that point and so on. Cool. All right. We'll just start like we always do is have you introduce yourself and little, and then I'll ask you about your podcast and you can talk about that as well. Okay. And then we'll talk about okay. the Messier marathons. Uh, All right. And, and, and it's okay with ALPO, a solar system group to talk about the Messier marathon. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. We talk about everything now on the po- the podcast has really evolved over the years. It used to be just the ALPO, and now it's like I had you know Dr. Aaron McDonald come on and talk about the science of Star Trek. <laughs> so it's okay. So yeah, everything's fair game right now. Yeah, I gave a talk on the Messe Marathon last night to the East Valley Astronomy Club here in Phoenix. Oh, cool! There were like a hundred people there. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Okay, hang on. <laughs> 